Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. ACF Church, we're so glad that you're with us today. Uh, We are starting a brand new series called Love in Quarantine, and it's the week after Easter. So we hope you had a great Easter. I know we did in our home. We hid Easter eggs for the kids. We had, you know, our Easter dinner together, and it was just a little weird, right? It's a weird season. Just a little different to do Easter in our homes. But here's what's awesome. We saw 10 people give their hearts to Mm. Jesus. They text in, yes, to follow Jesus. And so we're so excited that God is changing hearts and uh, changing lives, even through the struggle that we're in right now. So um, I have next to me here, Amanda Cook, also known as my wife. So we're so glad to have you, Amanda. So we're starting this new series about marriage, and we were just talking this week that it would be great for us to talk about marriage together. And as we start this series, this week we're calling Fight Night. We're going to talk a little bit about conflict because we know that in quarantine there can be some conflict. Especially 29 days into quarantine. We are 29 days. You've been counting. 29 days. She she knows exactly how many days we are into quarantine. In fact, Amanda shared with me this meme that somebody sent her earlier this week that I thought really uh, gave us a sense of where we're at. It says this, y'all married people holding up okay? I haven't seen I'm so blessed or he's my everything in a while. So can we just start with this? You guys okay? Yeah. Babe, you're my everything. Are you okay? You're my everything too, um, but it's hard, right? Quarantine's hard sometimes. You okay? You guys, you guys doing all right? We're just here to check in on you. We're here to, to actually walk through this with you and maybe share some things that could be helpful for you in this season. And, and although we're in day 29 of quarantine, other parts of the world have been in quarantine for longer than us. In fact, I read this in Bloomberg Business Week. Here's what it said. Says, although China publishes nationwide statistics on divorce only annually, media reports from various cities show uncouplings, which is just a funny way of saying <laughs> divorce, uncouplings. Uncoupling surged in March as husbands and wives began emerging from weeks of government mandated lockdowns intended to stop the spread of the novel coronavirus. Incidents of domestic violence also multiplied. The trend may be an ominous warning for couples in the U.S. and elsewhere who are in the early stages of isolating at home. And this is what's so key. I thought this was really challenging. If absence makes the heart grow fonder, the opposite might be true of too much time spent in close quarters. Would you agree? Yes, I would definitely agree. (laughs) We're just getting honest here. So yeah, sometimes that's not the case. Like, in fact, I heard some people talking about how they think there's going to be all these COVID babies, like, Mm -hmm. like a baby boom coming out. It's probably not going to happen. This is the first time I put on jeans and makeup in weeks. Yeah, it could happen. It It could happen. happen. But I doubt it because the, the baby boom came after uh, the troops came back from World War II and, you know, then a bunch of babies were born. I don't think I have to tell you why, but um, yeah, there was an absence. Here we are, we're stuck together, and can we just say this probably isn't like the sexiest moment of human history, right? <laughs> you know, we're all hanging out in our PJs, on the couch, eating way too much. I'm, I'm probably at the highest weight I've been all year, so I'm just, I'm feeling it's it. okay, babe. You look great. Thank you. Yeah. You look good, too. Thanks. No, we're <laughs> going to have to kiss on camera. Um, so, here's the deal. I don't know where you're at. If you're married, if you're single, um, what, do you think, what do you think this means for single people? Why are we talking about marriage, and why would this be helpful for a single person that's watching online? Well, we just want to, um, you know, prepare you. There's lots of things that we have learned from experience, and sometimes it would have saved us a lot of heartache to know some of these things prior to to getting married. Absolutely. And I actually think that if you're single, you have probably seen a relationship dissolve or you've been in a relationship that's dissolved. And as we talk about conflict today, I think this is maybe one of the most primary things that tends to cause a relationship to fall apart is that we don't know how to do conflict. We really don't. And so we want to get honest. We want to just be open about our relationship. We've had some conflict over the years and... uh, (laughs) She's laughing. Um, and, and here's what I would say. I would say you don't really know somebody uh, 
for who they are until you get to know their spouse. Like you really get to know, so, so you, you may have never known me as well as you're gonna get to know me here in the next few minutes because Amanda is such a big part of my life. I'll let you in on all the dirty secrets. All the dirt going, going on today. I love it. So I wanna start with this question. Have you ever made a decision that you were stuck with? I mean, this is called love and quarantine. So when have you made a decision that you were stuck with before? Uh, so I have one. We were painting the office at our house in Grand Junction, and I had picked out a dark purple for the accent wall and then gray for the remaining three walls. And I get the dark purple one up there painted, and it looks so good. And I start painting this gray onto the other walls, and it is lavender, like extremely lavender. I paint it on... I paint the gray on a blank piece of paper, stark gray. Put it up against that wall, and it was purple. I renamed it to Surprisingly Lavender. It was, it was, surpri- it was terrible, and I was stuck with it for a while because I didn't want to repaint three walls. So the moral of the story is go down to Lowe's and get the paint samples, right? Paint them on yeah. for save yourself from being stuck with something that you don't want. But here's what I want to start with is this. We all want a marriage that we're thrilled to be stuck with. I mean, really right now, that's something that many of us are thinking. We're kind of stuck with this family, stuck with maybe a person. And I think maybe for, for many of us, there's this feeling that we should want this, right? We, we should enjoy this. There's, this is a gift that we get to spend this time together right now mm-hmm. at home. Maybe you're working from home. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you're even unemployed and struggling with that right now and uh, feeling the tension of, of just finances in your home. But right now, we get this time together. And I know that we have all dreamed of having marriages that we were uh, that we were stuck with, but we're excited to be stuck with, thrilled to be stuck with. And so um, as we move into this, really uh, how we deal with conflict is key to our enjoyment of this time together. I mean, the way that we, because conflict's gonna happen. We're gonna have some issues. There's gonna be things that come up now, maybe more than ever as we're together that are gonna affect how this whole COVID-19 thing feels and how this time together mm-hmm. feels. And so we wanna learn how to do conflict really, really well. And Amanda, like we said, and I have done some conflict. Um, we didn't start off our marriage or even our, our dating relationship um, <laughs> Why are you laughing? We didn't start off thinking that th- this thing was going to be perfect. In fact, um, I don't. How long had we dated before we had our first fight? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Like five Maybe minutes. Maybe weeks. Oh, five minutes. Maybe That's five minutes. Probably more accurate. <laughs> probably true. I just remember, and this is in our in our notes, but I I just remember showing up for one of our our, our first dates, and I think I was like fifteen minutes, twenty minutes late. Mm-hmm. She still mm-hmm. feels the, the pain from that moment. No, it was, it was rough. It was rough. I had this feeling that I could kind of show up whenever I needed to, and so I, I gave her a general time to pick her up. I didn't realize that um, for Amanda, it, it, she had the whole, you know, like on time is, uh, is late, you know, and early is on time. Uh, and late is unacceptable. And so this was an unacceptable moment to show up late. And uh, it, it, it was not a great date. Do you remember that? Not a great date. But I want to start off with this. Let's just get real. Most embarrassing fight. <laughs> Most embarrassing fight. Tell us the story, Amanda. Uh, so again, this was back in Grand Junction. We were living in this little one-bedroom house, and we were just arguing and screaming at each other, which probably means that I was screaming. That that tends to be how it goes a little bit more. And we were um, in our bedroom, and we look out the window, and there is our neighbor who, I mean, like our houses are so close anyways, and he's like right out there just working in his yard trying to act like he wasn't there. He was like trimming the rose bushes or something. Windows wide open, just had to have heard the whole thing. What was more awkward was just walking outside to go to the car later, saying hi to the neighbor. Uncomfortable (laughs) moments. Um, So you've had some embarrassing fights, I'm sure, where you're just like, if anybody saw us in that moment, they would never talk to us again, right? Um, maybe, Maybe you've said some dumb things. I know I've said some pretty dumb things over the course of our marriage that has caused some conflict. I remember one time Amanda came home and she got a haircut. And I love long hair. I've always told her I love her hair when it's long. She got a, she got a haircut and... These are the words um, that came out of my mouth. If Men, if you've ever been there where you just, you hear the words coming out of your mouth and you're trying to like grab them as they're going, and, but they're, it's, all, it's already out there. And so I said, um, why did you cut your hair? It was just starting to look good. 
it wasn't funny. Like it was not a laughing moment at all. One of the things about conflict is I think we tend to feel like it's a bad thing. We feel like we should avoid conflict at all costs. And, and maybe the feeling is that healthy marriages don't have conflict. But that's actually not the case. I believe that healthy marriages do healthy conflict. If you're gonna have a healthy marriage, if we're gonna have a healthy marriage, we have to learn to lean into conflict and acknowledge that it's gonna happen. It's not a matter of if, but when. In fact, one of the things that scare me is when I'm doing, scares me is when I'm doing uh, premarital counseling with a couple and I ask them, when have you had an argument? And they say, oh, we've never fought. And I just, red I just, flag. red flag, right? Because I'm going, well, then you're not going to know how to be married, right? Because in marriage, there is going to be conflict. And so uh, I want to move into a text just to start us off today. Amanda, would you read Ephesians 4, 25 through 32? Let's, let's read sure. the word together as we start. All right. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Awesome. So, so much there. Uh, so much that we could just learn from in that text. And we want to get into that um, because it speaks to the way that we do conflict. It, spe- it speaks to the way that we relate to one another and what it looks like to actually love one another and the things that we should be putting off and, and putting on in life. And, and, and for us, the, the place to begin really is, is where are we at, right? One of the things that we talk about as ACF Church a lot is that we want you to come as you are and, and to just acknowledge wherever you're at in life. You might love Jesus and, and, and be, be loving your spouse right now, or you might really be struggling with your faith and struggling with your spouse right now, or just wishing you had a spouse right now, which is funny. Uh, I think half the world's wishing they had someone to be quarantined with, <laughs> and the other half is wishing they were alone. But um, anyway, that's a different thing. But Amanda, everybody fights differently. Everybody does conflict differently. So what is your most natural way of fighting? What does conflict look like for you just naturally? Well, naturally, I am just a fighter. Um, But I definitely do... Which I love about her. (laughs) Which... Sometimes. Sometimes. But I definitely do conflict by um, raising my voice. Like, there's a lot of things I get loud about. I always tell Brian, um, it's just my passion that's coming out. But but in an argument, um, I just naturally tend to raise my voice. And I remember the first argument um, that we had, Brian was like, why are you yelling at me? And I said, why aren't you yelling? This is an argument. That's, that's just what you do. Yeah, so some, some tendencies there of just raising your voice. Maybe you grew up in a home where uh, mom and dad would just raise their voices. And so now you're married and you just continue on those behaviors and tendencies into your marriage and they may be good, they may be bad. For me, um, I tend to be an over-talker when it comes to conflict. I, I want to I fix it. Don't nod too much. I want to fix the problem. I want to make it right. And I want to make sure that like it's all better before we go to bed, before we move on. And so I tend to just kind of bulldoze my way in and, and say, well, we got to make this better right now. And that's not always the best case uh, or the best way to do it because maybe I'm fired up. Maybe I'm frustrated with something. And so- I'm typically um, fired up. Amanda's typically fired up. <laughs> and so it may be a good time to just get some space and, uh, and just work through the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Verse 26 says this, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And I think that speaks to both of us in that there's a way to be angry. There's a way to deal with your frustration and not to sin in your frustration. Mm -hmm. And then verse 27 says, and give no opportunity to the devil. And I think one of the problems for me is I, I always feel like giving space to a conversation means that I'm giving the devil an opportunity. I'm, you know, creating a problem that's going to last a long time in my marriage. And really, 
oftentimes that just means I'm respecting Amanda and giving her some room to process through it um, in her time. And so what we want to do is talk about um, something that we've learned when it comes to doing conflict, some, some tendencies that we've all maybe had before uh, called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And this isn't something we've made up. This is something that we heard from our counselor and something that's been a really helpful tool for us. And, and we hope that it'll be helpful for you as well as you work through conflict, uh, whether you're married or you're not married. These, these are just things that can happen when you're dealing with another person in life and you're dealing with conflict. And so uh, they're written by a man named Dr. John Gottman. And uh, he's a researcher who found out that through these four horsemen, he could predict whether someone would have a divorce or not with 91% accuracy. So essentially, if you're walking through these different types of behaviors, you're headed towards the end. That's the whole idea of the four horsemen. Four horsemen. It correlates to the four horsemen in Revelation, which is, what is it? War, death, famine, and conquest. And so it's the same thing. Those are a sign of the end times. And these four horsemen of the relationship, it's a sign. It can be a predictor that um, end times are coming in the relationship as well. Right. Yeah, so in any conflict, it always starts somewhere, right? It starts with something. In fact, we were like preparing for this message <laughs> and we had an argument literally about turning off the lights in our house. It's my full-time job since COVID-19 hit. Is what? Turning off lights. Turning off the lights. Mm-hmm. See, it's funny because growing up, that was my dad. My dad was always like stomping through the house, shutting off lights because we would leave all the lights on. And now that's Amanda's passion. So I've been used to doing this anyways. Everybody leaves for work and for school. I work from home, a part-time job. I work from home. And I would go upstairs, shut off all the lights, and then be done for the day. But now it's just it's turned home. into 40 hours a week. It's, it's not <laughs> 40 hours a week of a job. But... <laughs> The truth is, in any conversation or conflict, it starts off with uh, a harsh startup. Like there's a moment where it begins and it turns into an attack or raised voices and mean comments, bringing up the the same old issues that you've been fighting over for years. And, And these four horsemen are what follows a harsh startup in any kind of conversation. And so the first of the four horsemen is criticism. And criticism could be described as attacking the person and not the problem. And we've all been guilty of this, that we, we, for whatever reason, feel like this person that we are married to is the enemy, and now we're attacking them as a person instead of dealing with the problem. And this really leads right into shame. If you feel shame or the person you're with feels shame, what it makes them feel is that it's not what I did that's bad, it's that I'm bad. Yeah, so that's the difference between shame and guilt. Guilt is I did bad. What I did was bad. Shame is I am bad. Right. And so that's what criticism does. It's no longer about you have done something against me, but rather you are the problem. Right. It's a direct attack on their character. So criticism is different than critique, right? So again, conflicts can be good, right? Be angry and do not sin. There's a we. There's a way to deal with a we. There's a we. A way. There's a way to deal with your conflict. <laughs> We're gonna do this in one take. In and do it in a way that is not uh, gonna gonna hurt the other person or uh, avoid the issue. And we want to deal with our issues. And and critique has three different parts. First, it's the feeling that you have, which is is valid and you want to express your feelings. Second is the situation that you're encountering. And third is the need. Like, what is it that you need to make this better? That's critique and that's good. It's healthy. We want to critique and make sure that we're being open and honest about things uh, that aren't going well. So you've got criticism and critique, right? We want to lean towards critique and not criticism. So let's do like a couple examples here, just me and you. Um, So let's say I show up late This is just a total hypothetical situation. This would never happen. I show up late and pick you up for a date that we've had planned for months. Mm -hmm. Amanda, give me an example of criticism versus critique. Okay, so let's start with critique. The critique is I was... I was scared when you were running late and didn't call me. I thought we had agreed to do that for each other. Oh, that's nice. Oh, yeah. Makes you feel good. The criticism, on the other hand, is you never think about how your behavior is affecting other people. I don't believe that you're forgetful. I just think you're selfish. 
You said that with way too much yeah, passion. Yeah, that was pretty you, you good. good job. Well, and that goes back to, you know, criticism, it puts you in this fight, flight, or freeze mode. And so what happens is the rational part of your brain shuts down when you're feeling criticized and you just go into, into fight mode. Right. So, um, so I'll do an example, okay. right? So my yeah. turn. So let's say Amanda backs the car into a concrete post at the mall and breaks a taillight. At the mall. At the mall. <laughs> at the mall and breaks a taillight. So a critique would be this. I'm frustrated because I'm going to have to fix the car and I'm worried about the money it's going to cost to fix it. And if you could help me calling the insurance company, that would be great. Mm. So that's, that's critique. Um, it's not tearing her down. A criticism would be you never pay attention when you're driving and you're not worried about the effort that it's going to take to fix this. You don't notice what I do. I'm not going to keep going. Yeah. You, know, we you could, can hear the difference between right. the criticism and the critique. Yeah. So criticism is where it begins, right? So harsh startup, then criticism, and then it, it uh, paves the way for defensiveness. Which is the second horseman. The second horseman, right? Defensiveness. This is when the guilty person doubles down, which we've all been there, and excuses their behavior and then blame shifts to someone else. Because that's, that's the most natural response when somebody comes at you with a criticism is to shift the blame to get out of this. The problem isn't me, it's you. Right, right. The, uh, this defensiveness is all about self-preservation. It's all about getting away from the moment and getting away from acknowledging whatever it is that you did. And so there's, there's two specific ways to be defensive. The first is the, the counterattack. Right? So if somebody attacks you, gives you criticism, the most natural thing to do is criticize them back, right? We see this in our kids all the time, right? Um, you know, my sister hit me, uh, and then she goes, well, he hit me first, right? So it's, it's the counterattack. Um, the second part of defensiveness is a pity party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, an, I don't know if you've ever seen a pity party as a way of defense. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm very good at pity parties. Okay. Yeah, I can, I can throw some pretty good ones. Um, some examples of that, again, so for the criticism, I'm really tired of you losing track of time and being late. You're always late. So then we have this second one, defensive counterattack. You are just too uptight. I've got a lot on my mind. I'm never that late. Besides, you were the one who was late last time. Okay, yeah. And then you have this pity party one, defensive, innocent victim. I wasn't late on purpose. You're always picking on me. No matter when I get there, it's never early enough for you. I can't do anything right to please you. You're not making these up, are you? This is real life. <laughs> this is st- I'm getting deja vu as she's talking. This is quoted from the Gottman, too. Is it? The Gottman Institute. Uh, yeah, are but you feeling it, like we're reading your mail? Feel, because yeah. it, these really hit home in our life. So defensiveness then paves the way for contempt, right? So we've got criticism, defensiveness, and then the third horseman is contempt. So contempt is disgust, name-calling, mocking, provoking, and negative body language like rolling your eyes or glaring. Have you ever been there? Yeah. It's putting your partner down or speaking with scorn. Um, it, it's what happens when you, when you think and you act superior um, over your spouse. Um, it's putting yourself in a higher plane than your partner and looking down from a position of authority with an attitude of, I'm better I'm neater, I'm cleaner, I'm more punctual. It's that idea of being on a, a higher plane. Yeah. Yeah, verse 31, I thought, really spoke to this well. It says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Mm, yeah, that's another thing with contempt is that it stems from a negative mindset. So you're literally scanning the room looking for any sort of mistake or failure that your partner is doing rather than finding that um, appreciation and being grateful for them. That bitterness yeah. speaks to that. So within the four horsemen, contempt is actually the single greatest uh, predictor of a divorce. And so if you find yourself in this place where you've moved way beyond the problem, you've moved way beyond the actual issue into name calling and mocking and provoking, which um, we've been guilty of 
before multiple times. And so we, we know what it's like to get into that mode. And uh, what, what we're taught is that through this, through that third horseman, that, that's a great way to know uh, with great accuracy that you're actually headed towards the end of a relationship if you don't change that type of behavior. Yeah, yeah. And the different types of contempt, um, you spoke to some of them. Sarcasm, cynicism, name-calling, eye-rolling. Um, and an interesting fact about contempt is um, it says couples who are contemptuous with each other are more likely to suffer from infectious illnesses, colds, flu, COVID-19. So y'all better get your contempt in order, right? So. <laughs> but, yeah. but it is an actual, um, it is research that it has been done physiologically. that it affects you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Just like criticism affects you physiologically as well. Right. So. so in contempt, the desire is to hurt someone. Yeah. So you've literally turned your words into a weapon. And the goal is to hurt the person that you're with to make you feel better. And I've been guilty of that before where I've just, I've, I've lost it, right? I've lost the, the whole point of this whole argument. And uh, there have even been times where we've been arguing and about halfway through, we're losing it. And I've completely forgotten where it even began. And I don't even know what the conversation's about anymore. All I know is I want to wound and hurt um, the person that I've chosen to spend my life with, um, which is heartbreaking. It's something that we uh, all have been guilty of before. So contempt uh, finds its way into the fourth horseman, which is stonewalling. Stonewalling. Stonewalling is when you actually, when you withdraw from an interaction, yet you're still physically present. So it essentially means that you're giving cues to your partner that you've checked out, whether it is no longer having direct eye contact, which I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm actually an expert at stonewalling. This is really um, the place that I tend to go most times. Maybe you're crossing your arms. You're just giving your partner those physical cues of, um, I'm not really here. I've checked out hours ago and you can keep talking. Um, And the pattern goes like this. The more you feel criticized, the more you turn away. The more you turn away, then the more your partner attacks you. Yeah, and I've been there before where the more she's shutting down, the more I want to lean in. And like I said earlier, to to fix the problem. And the problem with uh, allowing yourself to get to the fourth horseman, to get to stonewalling, is there's not a whole lot you can do to fix that type of situation for the other person. I mean, if you're not the stonewaller, I mean, at that point, you just have to give space because you've literally lost... Um, you've lost the authority to speak anymore to that person and and your words now, they just don't carry weight anymore. And so, because you've already shown that you're not trying to to care for them, you're actually trying to hurt them. And so at that point, uh, stonewalling is a protective uh, behavior, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, that's a big thing for me. It's always about self-preservation. It's where I um, instantaneously go. And this one also has research, research behind it that shows that stonewalling actually elevates your heart rate and it releases stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline. So again, we're going back to that fight, flight, or freeze mode. Um, And when this happens, when you have that elevated heart rate and um, you have that cortisol and adrenaline coursing through your body, you can actually no longer listen. You don't have the capability Hmm. to think creatively or create creatively Creatively. (laughs) and solve the problem constructively. Physiologically, your body has just shut down as well as emotionally you have shut down as well. And it says that it can actually take up to 24 hours for your body to get rid of all of those stress hormones. Yeah, and I think we've been there where you wake up the next day and you have like a, a fight hangover, right? <laughs> Where you just, I mean, everything yeah. seems normal on the outside, but your body just feels like there's something wrong on a, mm-hmm. on a physiological level. Um, stonewalling is, it's really where a cold war sets in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got, and, and sometimes it's one person, sometimes it's both. Uh, and, and this is a time where you end up in separate rooms, uh, separate beds. And even when stone, stonewalling goes for a period of time, it turns into separate lives. Where it's like, hey, you've got your life, you've got your bank account, you've got everything that you do. We literally, we share a roof and nothing else. Mm -hmm. And this is the danger of allowing ourselves to get into that point 
of stonewalling. And one study that I was reading said 85% of stonewalling is done by the husband, which is weird because that's not me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I always say that Brian is the woman in the relationship. I appreciate you saying that <laughs> in front of all these people. Uh, but he is the one who will always force us to talk things out. Again, I would just um, keep everything inside and do whatever I can to maintain the happiness. Like, that's all I want. I just want to be happy. And so, um, yeah, things would look very differently for us if he didn't push us to talk. But, but the stonewalling, that's definitely, that's definitely me. Right. In their relationship. So, so maybe you've seen uh, some of these, these four horsemen in your relationship. Maybe you've seen them in your parents' relationship and, and you're looking at them going, hey, I want to avoid the four horsemen um, in this way or that because I know that that's going to be a tendency for me. I've grown up in that type of household. Um, hopefully you've maybe seen these and starting, you're starting to, to notice them happening in your relationship. Um, and that's helpful, but honestly it doesn't, it doesn't fix the problem to notice those issues without a plan in place to move forward. And, and, and even before the plan comes a decision that you have to make. And this is a decision that, that we make sometimes on a daily basis, which is that fighting for the marriage is worth it. That, that continuing to fight for our relationship is actually going to be better and the prize that we get through having a, a healthy, strong marriage is going to be better than what we can get from throwing it out. And sometimes that's a daily decision. Uh, sometimes it's something that uh, comes and goes in a relationship. But it begins there with this commitment, this choice to stick with the relationship. And this is what, what we want to call you out of today is that, uh, that you would stick with it, is that you would make a decision even in the midst of this, this love and quarantine season that we're in. Maybe for you it's more quarantine than love, right? Um, <laughs> but that you would choose to stick with it to the point that you're willing to make sacrifices to, to go after a better marriage and a better relationship. For us, it was interesting. When we first started dating, we had a, a, a really strong commitment to one another um, really early on. And uh, some couples, you know, the dating relationship, they have some little arguments and, and then you get married and you have the big blow-ups. For us, it was like a few weeks in that we had major blow-ups and, and that the way that we dealt with conflict personally became very evident um, and very unhealthy in so many ways. And yet we had this, this incredible commitment to the relationship. In fact, I remember one time we were arguing in the basement of your parents' house and uh, you could hear it all the way upstairs. And it was maybe, it was probably hours of just yelling and arguing. And, and uh, I did my fair share of yelling as well. And I remember we came upstairs and uh, Amanda's parents basically asked the question, why are you still dating? Like, why are you still together? And it, it set me back on my heels because I kind of thought, well, well, why are we? And I just realized that there was something about Amanda and something about the relationship that God had given us that was worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, in the terms of commitment, again, I've always been a person who um, I my natural tendency is to to hold people back. Um, and so this idea of, you know, like putting yourself out there, being vulnerable to somebody um, for the rest of your life was not. Um, doesn't sound very appealing. Didn't sound very appealing. Didn't it's I appreciate very, that? Thank you. Very for appealing. Now, yeah. um, but I, I remember, you know, just having um, dated other people previously and the hurt that you can go through from that. And I just remember shortly after Brian and I started dating, just this idea that I just went to my room and I was like, God, if he's not who I'm supposed to be with, then I just want this to be over now. Um, I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to be hurt. Um, And I really felt like God um, said to me, this is the person that you are going to be with. And so through all that craziness of, um, of us dating, it was really that commitment that voice of God that I stuck with during the hard times. This is what God has for me. It's going to be good. Yeah. 
yeah, this is a decision that, that only you can make and uh, that I'd encourage you as a couple to make together. Is this worth fighting for? This is the moment where you stop fighting in your marriage and you start fighting for your marriage. And uh, we want to do that together and we want to be in this fight together. So I want to give you a few helpful tools to start fighting for your marriage. Um, the first tool, want to go through that, Amanda? Sure. So the first one that we have is just to examine yourself. So you need to ask yourself questions like, whose issue is this? Um, why, why does this issue bother me so much? Um, what can I own? What is on my side of the street that I can clean up? Not, don't, don't focus on what he did or what she did, but what is it that I can do in the relationship to, to, to progress us forward? Yeah. Um, a quote that we have here that says, in marriage, when you win an argument, you actually lose. That's my quote. I oh, wrote did that you write that? Yeah. <laughs> I wrote that in the notes. That's a good quote. Thanks, man. Who said that? I did. It didn't say. I was like, oh, must be a anonymous. I probably took it from somebody else. I almost said unanimous. Um, Nonetheless, this is funny. I genuinely hate to lose. Um, And so I think that that is what caused a lot of conflict um, in our marriages because whenever I would have to apologize or whenever I would mess up, it felt like I was losing and I hate that. And so that, that apology is like, at my throat, but I just can't quite, quite get it out. Um, And so for me, it's really just changing that mindset of um, winning an argument is actually losing. So if I lose, I win. Yeah, there you go. Well done. Um, I mean, the other part of that is for me not to stew about it. Examining yourself isn't simply sitting down and thinking about how they were uh, so wrong to you or, or what they did was so hurtful. Um, it, it's spending time considering what is it that I've done to cause this. And what I've learned is that in every single argument, I own something. There's always something that I own. There's always something that I can do. Uh, e- even if it seems like it's all on the other person, there's always something that you can do to make it better. So that's the first tool, examine yourself. And then the second one is choose your timing wisely. Um, And so both partners should agree um, about a time to come back together and to talk about it. Um, I think being able to take a break and collect your thoughts, maybe, you know, regain your composure um, is always beneficial. It's very beneficial to me. The thing that you want to make sure that you do is that you actually come to come back together and talk about it. The the bottom line is that you want to solve the conflict. You don't want to have it sitting there causing bitterness. Um, so just set a time. Maybe it's 20 minutes. Maybe it's three hours. Or maybe it's already late. It's 11 p.m. and you just want to go to bed. So first thing tomorrow after breakfast. Um, We'll talk about it. So just set a time to do that. Uh, It says if you wait longer than 24 hours, you risk avoidance, which ultimately gives the conflict more power. Again, it's all about winning. So don't give that conflict more power than what it needs. During that break, try to do some self-soothing. So you want to avoid negative thoughts. This would be negative thoughts about yourself if you struggle with that um, or negative thoughts about your partner. Um, Do something that reduces your stress. So maybe you want to listen to music or maybe you want to go exercise, ride a bike, hike a mountain, Um, whatever you want to do. Then you guys can come back together or then we can come back together and talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Timing is everything. Um, and this is one of the hardest ones for me because uh, I tend to be a little codependent. And when Amanda's not happy, I have a hard time being happy, right? And so mm-hmm. I want her to feel better. And it's a lot of times selfish motives. It's what? like when the wife isn't happy, nobody's happy. Remember <laughs> when... the woman in your <laughs> That's right. That was but unplanned. It would be like when, when, when I'm not happy. Ain't nobody happy. So that's, uh, that's how it feels sometimes. 
is that uh, when Amanda's not doing well, I can't feel good about myself. I can't feel good about us. And so I'll tend to push a conversation that really needs to be put off a little bit so that we can gather our thoughts. And normally it gets late and now uh, we haven't slept well or we haven't slept at all. And it just makes it much worse. And so uh, choosing the timing wisely. Um, And then also not to be passive aggressive about dealing with it. Sometimes when we don't want to make it a problem, we just throw passive aggressive comments at the other person (laughs) instead of dealing with it. And so we want to to avoid being passive aggressive um, and, and cut right to the point. Um, sometimes even in an argument, it, it's, it's good to just have a hand signal. Like, okay, here we go. Time out. We're just going to time out in the argument. I, I'm thinking of a different hand signal. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not the hand signal we want. We want to avoid those hand signals in arguments, which moves us forward. The first one was examine yourself. The second was to choose your timing wisely. And the third is to use good communication. Um, use all the tools that you've been taught your whole life uh, to know how to communicate well and clearly about the issue at hand. And this happens through two specific things. The first is assertiveness. You want to you have a, a healthy assertiveness about your problems. Uh, some of you maybe don't talk about what you're struggling with. You just stuff it in deep and you're not clear about what frustrates you and then it, it comes out at the worst of times. And so this is when you straight state directly and factually how you feel and what you want. And so we're not going to exaggerate. We're not going to make it a bigger deal than it is. We're not going to pull in all kinds of history to make a a bigger point. We're just going to be very clear about what we want. And here's like maybe a funny example of when we're not clear about what we want. So let's say that like, you know, I asked the question, well, where do you want to go for dinner, right? I don't care, babe. You don't care? Well, how about McDonald's? No, I don't want McDonald's. Right. So that's a pretty, pretty typical <laughs> one. Where do you want to go for dinner? I don't, I don't care. Well, McDonald's, not McDonald's, right? So be clear. Well, I'm not sure where I want to go for dinner or I just don't want fast food. And so um, that's, a, that's maybe a, a stupid example, but um, a real example of something uh, might have to do with how you're communicating with the kids or uh, something that's uh, in the relationship and expectation that's not being met, where you really need to be clear about what you want and why you want it and how it makes you feel. So that's assertiveness and then um, active listening. So the active listening is another big part of using good communication. This is when you repeat back to the person what you hear and what you understand so that you can clarify that you understand it and communicate to them that what they've said matters. This is so key. So be assertive, be clear about what you want have a conversation, and then actively listen to the other person. If you're not listening, you're not having a conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have to actively listen, which means to communicate back to that person what they're saying and what the message is that they're hearing. Yeah, yeah that's good. The fourth, the fourth helpful tool here is to make a list of possible solutions. I would say that um, over the course of a marriage, there becomes uh, a big list of struggles many times if, if you haven't dealt with those things. Uh, you can have a long list of things that cause problems and, and you can probably write down a list of the top 10 things that tend to come up in every single argument, right? It could be about the lights, it could be about backing into a post. It could be about whatever. But all of a sudden, it, you're starting to talk about her mom and, you know, like what <laughs> she did when you guys were dating. And then you start talking about, you know, how he doesn't put away the laundry or whatever it is. And before you know it, it's like it's the same things every time. What if, what if we just made a list of those things, maybe even just the top five things right now? that are causing problems in most arguments, and then you begin to brainstorm, what are the solutions to these? And once again, what do we both own? How can we both do something to make Mm, this better? Yeah. How can you change the trajectory of your relationship? Even change the trajectory of how you argue conflict. Yeah, doing conflict well is, is a big part of this. The fifth helpful tool is, um, I think maybe the key to making all of this work. And that's confession and repentance. Um, when, when we have a problem with each other, uh, with another person, we actually make it right the same way that we make our relationship right with God. Mm. And that's through acknowledging what we do and acknowledging that it's, it's been hurtful or, or, or that it is, uh, is something that, that's coming from our pride or whatever it is. And then actually repenting of that behavior. And so repentance is to actually think differently about it. It's to make a decision in your mind that this is no longer how I want to treat you. This doesn't build you up. This doesn't um, honor you the way that I want it to. And so Colossians 3.12 says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, 
And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so this is key. Like we, we can't love until we forgive, right? Mm-hmm. And we won't have a real relationship until we have real love. And, and this text says that love is really what binds us together. And you might think, well, I have love, but it's just, it's not harmony. And the truth is you probably don't have love if there's not harmony in the relationship. Uh, with love comes harmony is what's promised to us there. And the only way that we can actually love that person is if we start off with ourselves, right? I think, I mean, that's been a journey for both of us is just mm-hmm. starting with us and, and starting with not, not just the way that um, we see ourselves, but, but even how God sees us. And I think a skewed perspective of how God sees us will actually uh, deform the way that we view each other and the way that we view ourselves. And so what we see here is that God forgives us, that the Lord has forgiven us. And because of that forgiveness, we can forgive someone else, Mm -hmm. right? Which I think is key, right? I mean, for you, um, Amanda, have you struggled with just receiving that forgiveness and just knowing that God forgives you? Oh, yeah. I think that um, I tend to be driven by performance. um, And so I have a much harder time accepting grace. I think that grace sounds great for you guys. But when it applies to me, I just feel like I need to work harder and change some things up. Um, So, yeah, that idea um, of forgiveness and and grace is... uh, it's definitely not my natural tendency, so I have to bring myself back to that. I have to remind myself of that. Yeah. And I just love this part. Just put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, mm-hmm. kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with, an, with one another. Like, that's so good. How does that not just speak right to marriage? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I mean the idea is that you have to put those things on. Um, which yeah, the, the implica- implication there is that they've fallen off, right? So those things, they're not naturally on us. Put your Jesus on. Got to put your Jesus on, he right? He did a, a sermon about that. Sometimes my Jesus, it falls off and he's, I'm dragging him behind me <laughs> trying to get him to We've all been there. <laughs> so a couple of realities I want you to consider first um, as we close out here. Uh, the first is this, you're not stuck with your spouse. I think this is important for all of us to realize that as you've chosen, like, this is worth fighting for. I want to stop fighting in my marriage and start fighting for my marriage is, is that we would realize that we're not stuck with each other. If you're here and you're like, I'm stuck in a loveless marriage. I'm stuck in a, in a marriage with conflict. What you need to know is that you're not stuck. You got to get out of that victim mindset that you're stuck in this place and that you can't pin your life on someone else. And in fact, if you're still in this relationship and it's been hard, it might mean that you actually love that person. It might mean that you fought hard to get to where you are and you're not stuck. You might actually love them more than you realize at this point in your life. And, and love, honestly, this is where love matters. This is where, where love uh, makes the difference is when you have to fight and when you have to give up something, right? Because love isn't really real until it costs you something. And, and we see that in, in the life of Jesus, yeah. right? So for God to really show his love to the world, he came and he died for us. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this than someone would lay down his life for his friends. And so you need to know that, that Jesus shows us what love is as he gives up his life for humanity. Yeah, and it reminds me, you know, just of everybody knows the John three sixteen for God so loved the world right. that he gave his only begotten son. Right. Yeah, so that is, so I mean, Greater love has no one than this, than you would give up your life for someone else. And so that means that there are are different degrees of love. There's great love and there's small love. And so what you need to know is if you're dating and you love that person, your love may be real, but I want you to know at this point, it's probably pretty small. And that's not to offend you, but just to let you know that like love can grow and it should grow. And and the love I had for Amanda when we were dating was, it was a small love. It was, I didn't understand yet what it meant to give up something for her. And so love begins to take on this whole new way uh, of life when we get married and we start to give up ourselves for that other person. That's when it becomes real love. And so as we look at Jesus, 
who is love, the embodiment of love, what we start to see is that not only are we not stuck with our spouse, but that God's not stuck with us, you know? He doesn't see Amanda or me and go, man, I just, I wish I would get somebody else. You know, I wish I could trade him in for a better model. No, he, he knew who you were. He knew who I was on the cross. And with every drop of blood, Jesus declares, I'm not done with my bride. As, even though she's broken and she's needy and she's angry, instead, I want to die for the bride. I want to die for the church. And that's exactly what Jesus does in giving up his life. So he wasn't a victim on the cross just as much as we're not victims in our relationships. No, he willingly participated in his own crucifixion. And so, that's good. I, I mean, that's really, really what, thank you, thank you. Yeah. That's really what marriage <laughs> is, right? It's a willingly uh, participating in, to some degree, our own crucifixion, crucifying our pride and our arrogance and, and just making our life about ourselves. And so I want you to consider making the decision today to fight it out the decision today to lean into good conflict. And, and actually, um, this is the first time I've ever done this. I actually printed off um, Alaska divorce papers. So interestingly That's enough... That's how we come, that we come prepared. We come prepared, yeah. So uh, you just... Oh, I didn't know how this conversation was going to go. <laughs> no, but I thought about this. Like, some of you have printed these off before. Some of you may, may have this, uh, these papers stacked somewhere in your house or, or filed away, and you're, you're thinking... Maybe one day I'll get back to those papers. Maybe one day I'll fill those out and I'll finish those out. And there's just a few pages here. It's, it's a pretty simple thing. And while divorce is a messy, terrible thing to go through, the paperwork is it's pretty simple. And so you need to know the paper, paperwork's always been there, but you, for whatever reason, at this point, if you're still married, chose not to sign on the dotted line. And, and maybe that means that there's love there, right? And so, you know, for me, I just think about this. Um, we'll do this together. Every time I choose to sleep in the same bed with Amanda after fighting with her, it's like I, I tear a page out of these divorce documents. Hmm. And every time I choose to forgive after an argument, then I tear these divorce papers. Yeah. I think every time I choose to share my feelings, um, even though maybe I felt shut down, and I, I get honest, even though I'm resisting the conflict, I tear a page out of the divorce papers. Mm. And every time I humble myself and get counseling for a problem that we're facing, then I tear these divorce papers. Yeah. So here's the deal. If you've given up a lot to get to this point in your marriage, if you've sacrificed a lot, you may just now be beginning to learn what love actually is. And so um, can we just pray for uh, the couples in ACF? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for the church that um, you love the bride, that you're willing to give up your life for the church. And that through that, through the crucifixion that we see, um, we learn what love really is. And Father, I pray that we would learn how to model that kind of love for our spouses. God, we know that the world needs a picture of what love is. And in so many ways, uh, we as the church have not given them a beautiful picture of what your love is for the church. So God, we want to change that and we believe that you can heal that. God, so I want to pray for the marriage that seems hopeless right now, for the man or woman who's thinking everybody but us could make it through. God, that you would give them hope. God, that you would show them a way forward and that there's always a path to restoration. God, thank you that you are a God of restoration, that there's always a path to restoration. And God, thank you uh, for our marriage and for the gift that we've had in uh, continuing on to be married and working through our struggles. And we just pray that as a church, we could be open and honest. I pray that people uh, would reach out for help as they've needed help um, and as they need help in the future. And God, that we could be in this together. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for the gift of marriage. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.